All right, well, we are, uh, we are going through a series called Orthodox, Foundational Truths to Treasure. Um, we've been in it for a couple weeks, months now, and uh, today we're talking about glorification and the weight of glory. There's a story about a man who uh, found out that it was his time to go to heaven, uh, and he asked the Lord if he could just bring one thing. And God said, no, that's not how we do things around here. Uh, but finally, after many attempts uh, of asking, the Lord said, okay, you can bring one thing. By the way, that's not how God works. Um, but <laughs> happily, the man packed his suitcase full of gold. And when he arrived in heaven, the angel said, I I'm sorry, uh, you, you can't bring that in here. And, and he said, no, 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 God said it was okay. And they're like... All right, fine. Like, what, what do you got in there? And they look and they go, oh, it's pavement. Bad, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. What do you think of, what do you think of heaven? Do you think of streets of gold? Do you think of, of clouds and, and people playing harps? Um, do, do you think of uh, just a, a one long worship service where we're singing, I could sing of your love forever, <laughs> For, forever and ever. <laughs> Is that what you think of? Um, today we're talking about glorification and the weight of glory right? Uh, glorification is the final step in the application of redemption. For the last couple weeks, we've been hitting justification, and then we looked at sanctification, and today we're going to look at glorification. Um, and, and glorification is what happens when Christ returns, uh, the, the dead are raised, and, and God reunites the dead to their soul, the bodies to their souls, and all of the believers are now resurrected and have their now glorified body, uh, and, and they are going into heaven. And so today we're going to talk about heaven, new bodies, and what on earth that means for us now. And here's the, here's the, the pathway or the roadmap for where we're going to go. We're going to look at heaven revisited, creation renewed, and the weight in the rear view. Heaven revisited, creation renewed, and the weight in the rear view. Um, so heaven revisited. There's two very different ways of seeing heaven, and some of you guys probably have this. Um, two very different ways that Christians, not just the world, but Christians see heaven. Which one are you? Um, one side sees heaven as an escape from this world. The other side says it's a renewal of this world. One side sees heaven as like the eject button on a plane. Let's just get out of here. And the other side sees it as a healing of this world. There's big implications for how you look at heaven. The, fir the, first, the first view, the, the escape hatch view, um, has some really big implications. Uh, earlier this week, we, we were asking some questions about what, you, what questions you might have about heaven on our Insta story. Uh, and there were some really good questions. And one of those was, what age will we be in heaven? You ever ask that? Like, how old am I going to be in heaven? Um, and so is it when I die? Which could be, for, you know, different for every person. And you're like, ah, oh, I don't want to die at that age. Um, or is it like when Jesus died, which is roughly 33? Like, is that the perfect age? Uh, I threw out the idea of what if we just all said, you know, 13 was a good year. 
Like, everyone loves being in puberty and in middle school. Let's just have that perpetually for the rest of our life, right? That sounds terrible. Um, <laughs> um, it's a hard question to answer of what age we will be because not only is everything else going to transform, your own body is going to transform as we get into heaven, and that's great news, that our bodies will be transformed as well. And so Paul begins this passage off in verse 16 and says, do not lose heart. Though our outer body is wasting away. And so he, he acknowledges that our bodies are breaking down, that our brains aren't working the way they should. Our lungs, for many right now, are not working the way they should. Our organs are, are, are failing us. They're wasting away. They're being eaten away. They're, we're being capsized and consumed and wiped out. And yet at the same time, our inner self is being renewed. It's being made new. And Paul comes and says, do not lose heart. Now, how many of you came here today? You said, I'm going to get up out of bed. I'm going to get dressed. I'm going to take the effort to come all the way into church just so that I can be discouraged. Anyone here come say, I just need to be discouraged, Slim. Come, <laughs> come tell me some really terrible things about the world. Like, no, none of us do that. <laughs> like, we do that fine on our own. Right? We, 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 our natural state kind of can, can go there, even for optimists. Like, we come because we need hope. We need hope in the midst of what seems like a never-ending barrage of just heartaches that keep hitting us. And so one view is the, the eject button. Like, don't lose heart. We can leave at any time, which, right, I don't like that view. And, and, and Christians might point to verses like 1 Corinthians 4, 17 and say, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, the, the saints who have died before, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so let's just leave this world and be cloud people. Doesn't that sound wonderful? <laughs> It's like a level on Mario. We'll, we'll blow cloud bubbles. We'll sing holy, holy, holy forever and just be cloud people. But if we limit heaven to just being cloud people, I mean, it doesn't give us a lot to look forward to. Like, don't you feel like that's the case when you find someone who is close to death? They're knocking on death's door and they are scared to go, even as believers. And to me, it seems like many are afraid that they're leaving the party before it's over. It feels like they're going home when they want to stay where the real party's at. Everyone else is going to have all the fun. I don't want to go home. And so they're disappointed, and they're thinking of all the people they're going to miss out on and all the things they, they, they wanted to do. But for God's children... Going home isn't like leaving a party. It's going to the biggest party ever. Like, you remember the, the story of the prodigal son where the son's coming back to the father and he's running after him and he prepares a huge feast for him. Like, this is the party we're coming to. There's going to be a feast with a welcome wagon when it's your time to go. But we don't like to think that way. We, we live in the YOLO reality. How many of you all know what that is? We put a little blurb up there so you can understand. If you don't know, <laughs> YOLO, you only live once, right? I mean, think about that phrase. You only live once. 
What does that do to you if you really do embrace that? How does that change your mindset? It's the phrase people yell when they decide to jump off of an edge of a rock cliff. <laughs> After going, hmm, how deep is that water? Will I break my neck? Yellow! <laughs> and just go for it. <laughs> now let's get real personal. It's the decision you make when you're like, should I eat that donut? YOLO. <laughs> right? you, you only live once. Uh, this is also the bucket list mentality that like some of us have a whole list of things that we would say like, I want to do, I want to I go skydiving, I want to go to the Grand Canyon, I want a whole list, list of things that we want to do before we kick the bucket, before we die. Um, and, and making a bucket list isn't bad, right? Like, that's not a bad thing. Our family makes a, bu a summer bucket list every year. Uh, we come up with ideas like beach trips and going putt-putt. Not bad to make a bucket list. Some of you guys are like, I want to go to the Great Wall of China. Do it. I want to go see the Northern Lights. Do it. <laughs> but where it gets bad is when we believe that you only live once. When we embrace that. Like, but I want to live. Yeah, yeah, I want to go to heaven, but I want to live here. I want to experience true life. Like, before I go to heaven, I want to get all of the fun in now. I mean, you ever feel that way? Like, it's just like, I don't... I don't know if I can do one long worship service. Like, my knees are going to hurt. Am I going to get distracted in prayer and, like, look around? Like, am I the only one here? And I think this is what it comes down to. I think many of us are really scared that we're going to get bored in heaven. How many of us think, like, like am I going to get bored? Forever is a long time. And I think that is, that, that's a root fear of many Christians. No one wants to admit it. And so... <laughs> Will I be bored, and I want to answer for you, for, for resurrected people who, who get to experience the joy that comes directly from God's own hand. I want you to see, like, <laughs> this is unthinkable. Like, boredom in heaven is unthinkable. Like, heaven will be boring means that we think that God himself is boring, if we think heaven's boring, we're going to think God is boring, and there's no greater nonsense than that, and we're on a mission to stamp out nonsense. Our desire for pleasure, our experience of joy come directly from God's hands. He made our taste buds, yes? He made the adrenaline that goes through us. He makes our, makes our nerve endings that, that, that sends pleasure nerves to our brains, right? Our imaginations, our capacity for joy were made by God. Like when we experience something so wonderful, we're like, we, we, you know, we say, you know, how brilliant is this one dude who could write and sing and act all in the, the, the play Hamilton. How does he do it? Well, it's because he's creative and he's brilliant. What about God? How could God do all of this? We go, oh, it's because he's more than brilliant. He created this all himself. He is creative. And so it's not YOLO, it's YOLT, which just sounds terrible. <laughs> You only live twice. We'll move on from that. Two bad jokes today. Many more to come. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't have the same ring to it. But if we stopped and recognized that, hey, we don't, if, even if we don't get to scale the Alps in this life, we'll get to do it in the next life. And as much as, as I really do want to go cave diving in Mexico, Devin and Jaja, that looked awesome. If I don't get to do it in this life, it's okay. I'm going to have eternity to go do it. We will have so much time to explore God's creation, and I don't think that exploration is going to stop here on earth. 
I feel like we're going to have the ability to explore other galaxies and other planets. We have eternity to figure it out. Like, let's not, let's not hinder what we could do in this next world. Someone might say, but, but won't it be boring to be good all the time? You ever thought that? This assumes that sin is exciting and that righteousness is boring, which is one of the devil's most strategic lies to us. That we feel like that's where life and fulfillment is happening. And sin doesn't bring fulfillment, it robs us of it. When there is beauty, when there is like true beauty, and we see God as he truly is, there's this endless reservoir of fascination, and so boredom becomes impossible. And so if, if, if we're wasting away and this escape hatch isn't the answer, let's look at what I believe is the, the picture of heaven and creation renewed. In verse 16, it, sa- it goes on to say, So do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Renew. Renewal. It is, it is, one of the, the, it is the heart of Christianity. Like, renewal is one of the many re-words in the Bible, right? You have, you have redemption, you have regeneration, you have restoration, you have reconciliation, you have the resurrection. These are all things about reclaiming what was lost, of making us the way we should be, right? In, in St. Louis, there's this fantastic place that everyone needs to go visit. It's called the City Museum, which is a, just a giant, huge playground for kids and, honestly, for adults uh, alike, Yes, one of the reasons I did youth ministry for so long <laughs> was just to get by and, and play along with that. Uh, but what it is, it, it's this whole museum, this whole playground in downtown St. Louis that is made from repurposed trash. And it's just beautiful, and it is so much fun. This designer took all the trash, and he literally made beauty from trash. Two years ago, my wife uh, was, was asked by Mission Waco to create a Christmas tree entirely made from recycled Sprite bottles, which is just <laughs> beautiful. And it's just outside, it was outside their Urban Reap store. Sorry, that picture's blurry. Of course, a Christmas tree is beautiful. God's the artist. It's awesome. I may be biased because it's my wife, but there is something truly beautiful about making art from trash, right? To consider trash and to say, let's make something beautiful from that. Like, this is what heaven is. It's not cloudy with a chance of happiness, right? It is renewing what is so broken in this world that it brings joy from you to see trash made new, like in Genesis, you have the Redeemer, the Redeemer is promised, but in Revelation, the Redeemer returns. In Genesis, we see the story of paradise lost, but in Revelation, it's the story of paradise regained. It is the re, it's, it's, it's finishing the story that God began in the beginning. Albert Walters says, God hangs on to his fallen original creation and salvages it. He refuses to abandon the work of his hands in fact, he sacrifices his own son to save his original project. I just think that grace becomes more and more beautiful and bigger when we see heaven this way. 
as salvaging all the brokenness that's on this earth. And for some reason, I think we like to over-spiritualize heaven as if like spiritual things are good and, and the physical world is bad. And maybe that's coming from that last verse in verse 18 where it says, for the things that are seen are transient, the things that are unseen are eternal. But it's almost as if we've just now been given license to hate this world and to say, this world is trash. Who cares what we do with it? It's transient. It's nothing. But as C.S. Lewis said of God, and I just think this is so uh, simple, he likes matter. He invented it. <laughs> it's just so simple. It's so straightforward. It's so profound. God likes matter. He invented it, right? It, it's almost as if we forget that God created this world. And at the end of each day when he created, he said, this is awesome. This is good. When Jesus was resurrected, he, he got his, his, his new heavenly eternal body. And this body, yes, walked through walls. And at first they couldn't recognize him because it was this glorified new, new body. But there's some similarities to what, the way he was before he was resurrected. He also ate fish. He also said, hey, look at the scars on my hand. And so he had a physical body, and you could see the scars. And he has a physical body to this day. It's not just this over-spiritualization that's happening here. God really likes matter. He really, he really likes the bodies that he created for us. He's just going to make them better. Also, God really likes food, if I haven't emphasized that enough yet. <laughs> Matthew 8, 11 says, Many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. It's saying everyone's going to come to this great feast in heaven. Isaiah talks about this feast and saying it's with the finest foods and drinks prepared for us by God himself, the greatest chef ever, right? <laughs> this world, this matter, it's not nothing. It's just going to be made new and made so much better. So we don't want to treat it like trash. We want to care for it. But at the Olympics this, this year, I don't know if you guys watched the opening ceremonies. They, took on, they went on forever. Uh, but at the opening ceremony, the whole world sung this John Lennon song. It just saddened me that had the whole world singing famous song, Imagine. And you guys probably know it, right? And it says, Imagine there is no heaven. It's easy if you try. Now, why would we want to imagine there is no heaven? What, what, what benefit would that be to think there is no heaven? That's a good thing. It's because if our thought is that this world doesn't matter, let's escape, hatch our way to heaven, then let's not care about this place. Let's not recycle. Let's not worry about ruining this planet for the next generation. Let's not fight bigotry. Let's not fight greed. Let's not fight racism. Let's not fight sexism. <laughs> well, no wonder the, the world is singing this song together because that's a pretty terrible way to live. To think, well, I'm just going to live for the other world. Let's not care about this world. Let's imagine a place with no heaven where we actually care about this world. Christians, we're, we're getting it wrong if that's the way the world sees our, our message. And that's not the message that Scripture gives us. In Revelation, we see a new heavens and a new earth. 
coming down. But what, but what if it wasn't just a completely brand new earth, but what if it was a, a renewing of this world so that all the trash of this world is made beautiful? The mounds of trash that, that America ships off, all of a sudden those become glorious pieces of art in the new heavens in the new earth. The concrete jungles that we live in are, are repurposed and they now have streets of clear gold. Revelation talks about these streets of clear gold. Do you know what clear gold looks like? No, you don't. <laughs> we don't understand it. What does clear gold look like? You can't. It's too glorious for our minds to handle. And the pinnacle of God renewing this is when he renews you. When he takes a sinner who's been corrupted and contaminated and polluted by sin and makes us glorious into a work of art. That God would make you, would take beauty from ashes and he would just make you his work of art. He's reclaiming you and making you new. But it's really hard to imagine all of that, yes? It's almost too good to be true and so it's almost like if someone said, hey, what would you think if your team won the national championship this year? You're like, shh, <laughs> don't blow it, <laughs> don't jinx it. It's almost too good to be true. You don't want to get your hopes up because this world has given us nothing but pain and reason to doubt those hopes. And so we don't want to get our hopes up, and so we, we try to downplay how great heaven can be. And so we've looked at heaven revisited creation renewed, but now let's look at the weight in the rear view. Verse 17 says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. It's just a beautiful, beautiful verse. You can have that something to memorize. Beautiful and weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, for some of you, this verse is that beautiful verse that is a balm to your soul and you want to cherish it. That's the way it's intended to be. But for others of us, it's almost impossible to feel the comfort because it almost sounds like, though it doesn't mean it, but it sounds like an exchange you may have had with a friend before. Where Have you ever talked to a friend and shared about a really hard, uh, really heartbreaking uh, thing that may have happened to you and their response was, I mean, yeah, that stinks, but like, it's not that bad. You're like, you hear, well, don't focus on the bad. I mean, how's that feel? It makes you feel like you just got dismissed, right? That you feel a little bit rejected by that friend. Like, as if your friend said, don't feel your feelings. You want to push against anyone who may be pushing on this because it, it feels like that's just a very cold and metallic way of listening to someone as if you've not really been listened to. Oh, this light thing? What are you worried about that for? But that's not what Paul is doing here. Paul, Paul doesn't dismiss your pain. The Bible doesn't ever dismiss our pain at all. The Bible shares struggle after struggle after struggle all over the Bible. There's a whole book devoted to that struggle and lamentations. There's a third of the Psalms that are devoted to the, the painful realities of life. And so the Bible never dismisses our pain. So that's not what's happening here. It says this light momentary affliction is preparing us. The Bible is saying all of your affliction is meaningful. All of your affliction is meaningful. It has purpose. 
all the pains that you're experiencing, they have purpose. We don't know what it is. And when a phrase like that comes from someone who has actually experienced pain, you listen. But sometimes you go, well, yeah, have you actually experienced this? Yeah, tell me, tell me more about this when your world collapses. Tell me more about how it's all sunshine and roses. But when someone comes to you who you know has been truly hurt and says something like that, you listen to them. I mean, Paul had the scars on his back from the whips that he received. He had the scars to prove that he knows what he's talking about. And he says this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for something better. I remember this past week I was meeting with Miss Shirley, who many of y'all know, who's, who has had so many things hit her. She had the, the, the school burned down. And she's seen the, the daily grind and the daily struggle of all the pains that she, she works with. And I went into that meeting going, she's probably not feeling great. I need to go give her hope. I need to share with her the good news and, and lift her up. But when you meet someone who's gone through that pain and is more hopeful than you... <laughs> It's wild. <laughs> you go in, you're like, oh, she needs, she, needs, she needs me to encourage her, to pray over her. Uh, and I didn't realize how hopeless I had become until I had spoken with her. So, I mean, as, as you may have heard, some things are going on, as you may well expect, and my heart has been, has been discouraged. And then speaking to Shirley, she brought me back to life. To have someone who's been through the pain and says, this affliction that you're feeling is real, it, it's not good, and sometimes it's just playing out evil. But it's going to be okay. It's light compared to what's next. There is a power of having older people around us, isn't there? To have someone who's gone through life, to look up to them. There's a power in a rearview mirror. And it's not just age, because there's plenty of older, hardened, and cynical people in the world, right? It's a gift that God has given some of our older saints to look at the weightiness, the heaviness of this life in a rear view and put it in perspective and contrast it with the work of art that God is doing in your life. Like, did you know that God is going to make you so much like Jesus Christ that if you had met yourself, your future self now, you would fall down and worship yourself? <laughs> be like, this must be Jesus. This is what John does in Revelation when he meets an angel. He just starts worshiping all these angels. They're like, stop doing that. I'm not God. <laughs> when we meet these heavenly beings that we're going to be transformed into, it's so perfect. It's so glorious. We're tempted to worship them. God is going to produce in you something that is going to outweigh the suffering through the suffering, and you'll be made like the sun. And so when Paul says the weight of glory, I just think it's a brilliant phrase because the word glory is the Hebrew word kavod, which, which means substance or weightiness. It's, it's heavy. You ever felt like a heavy blanket before? And you just feel the, the weight of that blanket, and it's, there's something comforting about it. You're like, ah. It's comforting. It's, it's real. And we're all begging for something truly real and glorious like that. And Paul says that our, our heavenly bodies, our glorified bodies, are going to experience this weight of glory. Really, it's saying you're going to experience the weight of weightiness. It's the ultimate reality. 
In C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, he says he's gone on this, this tour of heaven and hell. And when you enter heaven, even the blades of grass themselves hurt your feet as you step into them. Why? Because they're more real. They have more substance to them. And our bodies aren't yet transformed to this realer substance. Like, have you ever been so happy that you started to cry? You're like, I don't know what's happened to me. <laughs> right? There's, there's something that happens when you're so happy that you start to cry. It's like your body just doesn't know what to do with all of that joy. Or let's say maybe as a kid, you saw a fire hydrant with the, the, the nozzle off, and you're tempted, I want to stick my head in that and just drink it. What happens when you do that? <laughs> you just go blow it away. Like, you can't do it. You can't drink from that because our bodies aren't made for that yet. That is the picture of, of what's going to happen in heaven, that our bodies are going to need to be transformed to experience this, this greater joy, this greater weightiness that is awaiting us. Our bodies will be transformed to experience all of the joys of heaven. And so we're just so used to this light and passing world. And heaven isn't the escape of this world. It's the remaking of it to have this kabod, this weightiness. So this is why Jesus' body could walk through walls. Because his, his, the substance was, was weightier than the stuff here on earth. It's as if we are walking through water now. That this whole earth becomes almost like light, like water compared to the real substance to come. Oh, it's so beautiful. But then someone might say, but you just feel so tone deaf. Don't you see the true horrors that are happening in our world at this very moment? Absolutely. But when we have a different perspective, when we are able to look back, sometimes it changes those horrors. When you think of Good Friday... Why do we call it Good Friday? Like, it was an evil, evil thing that happened. It was pure evil to have a mob take up Jesus, to whip him, to beat him, to spit on him, to drag him through the town, to have him carry this wooden cross, to nail him to the cross, and to leave him up there naked, struggling for breath, while everyone just watched on. It's just embarrassing. It's shameful. And yet, the cross prepares us for an eternal weight of glory and so that it can be said to be good. Our sin condemns us eternally, but Jesus takes our place on that cross. And when you trust that, that he gets my wrath and I get his righteousness, and when you can truly trust in that, that changes you. That changes you forever. Heaven actually breaks into your earth right here and right now. Like your eternity, when you believe and hope and trust in Jesus, actually begins now. Like your eternity is forever changed at this moment. Forever begins now. And so if anyone is here who's never put their hope and faith in Jesus, I want to tell you, you have a moment to change your future trajectory forever. Like, let's pray after the service. Come talk with me. Don't wait, because it is that important. This is why Jesus says it's necessary that he dies, so that you may have life. And the thing that we're being all prepared for isn't justification. We're not just being prepared for sanctification. We're, we're being prepared for glorification. We're being prepared to reign with the king forever and ever and ever. 
to be fully glorified, to have our bodies transformed, to be without stain, without sin, and without pains, and not just without. We get to come face to face with our Lord and Savior Jesus and say, you did this for me, and you're making all of the sad things come untrue. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But some of us are still a little worried about what's going to happen in heaven. Like, will we recognize our friends and our families? It's a question many have. Will, we, will, I, will I know them? What about, why is there no marriage in heaven? What happens then? And I just want to say, yes, our marriages here on earth are till death do us part. But I have every reason to believe that I will be closer to my wife and closer to my kids in heaven than I am even here on earth even if it's not this marriage, because we're being married to Jesus. It, it, it's not the end of our relationships. They'll actually be taken to a new level. Our source of comfort isn't only that I get to be with, with the Lord in heaven, but it's also that I get to be with each other, that we get to come together. And so, yes, there's no marriage in heaven, but guess what? There's also no sun or no moon. And we think, how could in the world could that work with no sun? But Jesus says, I will be your son. And so it's going to be more glorious than we can even think, even better than we think, that we get to have Jesus himself lighting this world. And so literally it's the best thing about heaven is that we get to be with Jesus, that we get to actually be with him face to face and just be with God. And so it is ludicrous for us to think that, this, that that life is going to be worse than this life. God is so creative, we're going to have an endless amount of books to read, songs to sing, places to explore, and we'll have all of our friends to share it with. But if we don't get to do it with Jesus, then what's the point? There's this great maxim, I know I've quoted Lewis twice already, we'll do one more. He says, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, or the earthly things, and you'll get neither. I just love that. Aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you'll get neither. And so what is your aim? Do we even think on heaven? Is that even in our crosshairs that we're aiming at? I can't make you want to be there. I just want to show, share with you how good heaven actually is. But I also want to say how destructive it can be when we make things here on earth our heaven. So John Lennon, we don't have to imagine that there is no heaven we do that all the time. We, we, we imagine a world where we can just live for today because most people are just living for today. We're making right here and right now our heaven, the things here on earth. What happens when we do this? When we make our spouse, our friends, our career, our heaven, what happens to that? That is denying the reality of the way the world works. It is denying the, the, the proper order here, and it, it, it messes things up because those things cannot bear the weight of heaven. The weightiness of heaven, right? The weight of glory is too heavy for all of these earthly things to bear. It's like when you cross a bridge here in Waco. Most bridges have the capacity of 80,000 pounds, which sounds like a lot. But if you add any more cars to it, any more vehicles that go over 80,000, it cannot bear the weight of that. And so this, the minute we start saying that my friends, my career, my spouse, whatever it may be, is my heaven, the bridge is going to collapse, and those people will resent you, you'll resent them. They can't bear the weight of heaven for us. And so I want to ask you this morning, what is that for you? What is it that we want to make our heaven? Is it people's opinion of you? 
is an act, affirmation is to be seen as the good parent, the good teacher, the fun one. What is it for you? What is it that you want to say, that satisfies me, thank you very much, Jesus, but I'm good, I have this. And Paul says all of these things are transient. They can't bear the weight of glory. Now, maybe you're like me and you say, okay, I've identified that one thing. I don't want to make that my heaven. I want to reorient my thinking, refocus. I want to be renewed and things seem to go well and then I just feel so empty inside. Ever have that happen? Feel like, all right, now this is the time. I'm going to reorient things. I'm aiming at heaven. And I just feel so discouraged. What's happening is what this verse actually tells us to do. It says to renew yourselves. What renew means what? That something is going to run out. That your bucket is going to leak. That the car is going to run out of gas. That our stomachs are going to get hungry again. Jesus says in Matthew 6 that sufficient for the day is its own trouble its own trouble, its own wasting away. Each day has its own. And so the car of your hope and the strength of your joy is not meant to run on yesterday's gas. Like, they're, they're, the, the meals that we need don't last a whole week. We need to eat day after day after day. There are no meals that make us last for a week. There's no booster shots, spiritual booster shots, that last us for 10 years. We have to keep coming to Jesus. Verse 16 again says our inner self is being renewed day by day. And so I just encourage you this morning to be renewed day by day, to keep coming back to this hope that, we, that seems to get crowded out by so many other things in our lives. And to be renewed day by day, which is why it's so important for us to come and to feast at this meal and for the, this meal to work on us and to encourage us. This is, this is grace for the journey to encourage us in our walk as we are waiting to that time where we can go to be glorified. Come to Jesus, fix your eyes on Jesus. Be renewed over and over and over and say, Lord, I need you. I may come feast on you as we are waiting and being prepared to be renewed for the next life. Let's pray.